Welcome to the latest FT Advisor in Focus podcast. I'm Simoni Kuriaku, Senior Editor of FT Advisor, and the topic for today is how to advise today's youth ahead of them getting their wealth tomorrow. I refer, of course, to the great wealth transfer, that prediction of trillions of pounds worth of money set to pass from older generations to younger ones over the next couple of decades. While this may well bypass me and other Gen Xers like myself, we are well aware of the need for helping younger people understand the value of money. But what we are also starting to see is the importance to advisory firms of getting more young people into good savings habits and reaching out across generations to help today's less wealthy youth become tomorrow's wealthy uh, pensioners. So joining us on the podcast are Roy McLaughlin. He's Associate Director of Cavendish Ware. We have Kay Ingram, Director of Public Policy for LEBC, and Effie Datsun, Global Head of Family Office for Barclays Private Bank. Welcome all. Morning. Thank you. Morning. Good to have you with us. Roy, I'd like to start with you. In a nutshell, what do you think are the potential dangers of having unadvised or unsavvy young people suddenly receiving a huge inheritance? Um, the obvious danger is ignorance is bliss. And I think uh, a great example at the moment is this obsession that lots of people have with uh, day trading and cryptocurrencies. And I think um, I'm already hearing horror stories about very, very young people who quite simply haven't got the money losing it uh, due to taking advice from friends down the pub or, or whatever it is. So I think there's there's an obvious one there. But I'm glad you mentioned habit forming right at the start because having done this job for so long, I think the best clients I've got are the ones that get into the right habits but at a very early age. And I think if if our profession can be part of or you know a conduit to to enforcing that that habit forming, then actually you've got not only clients for life, but you've got clients that won't have debt problems and will actually be able to save in a positive way. Absolutely. Kay, I saw you nodding there when uh, Roy was talking. Can I can I bring you in, please? Yes, I think the big danger is, as Roy says, is young people getting a lot of money all at once, not really appreciating uh, the value of it and then uh, using it to buy Bitcoin or, you know, the sort of GameStop scenario was a classic example of, of really just treating it as though it's some sort of video game and um, trying to sort of put one over on the establishment, as it were. And I think all young people like to do that. In fact, there is a saying that if you um, are not left-wing when you're young, you haven't got a heart. And if you don't become right-wing when you're older, you haven't got a head. But I think that the important thing that I would say to young people about investing is that they, you know, there's a lot of interest in ESG, environmental, social and governance. And when it comes to Bitcoin, I think that is the antithesis of ESG. We know that it uses loads of electricity to mine Bitcoin, so it's not environmentally friendly. Criminals use it and the dark web uses it to launder money, so it's, it's not a social good. And there's no governance. And I think if we can get that message over to young people, perhaps we can stop this Bitcoin craze in its tracks, because I just feel it's going to end in tears and um, has all the hallmarks of some of the other things we've seen in the past, like tulip mania and so forth. So I think we've got a role to play in educating young people. And one of the things that LEBC does is to participate in the PFS Education Champions Programme, going into schools and talking to groups of usually secondary school, but also some primary school children as well, about how they can how they can view money and to help them to get a real feel for the value of money. 
Yes, that's absolutely important, um, Kay. And I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the PFS Education Champions because I was speaking to um, someone from the PFS just a, a couple of days ago saying that hundreds now, maybe even thousands of hours worth of time has been put in now by advisors pro bono going into schools and colleges and helping to teach people about the value of, of money from a very early age. But I was wondering if I could um, bring Effie in and ask whether she believes the financial service in industry in general has enough structures in place to sort of help people make sensible decisions or, or to overcome these various issues. Yes, well, thank you. Um, and it's a pleasure to be here with you, uh, all of you this morning. You know, I'll maybe before I take that question, I'll just respond briefly to what has been discussed already. Um, you know, we look very carefully at smarter succession, uh, in, and it's a big topic for obviously the wealthy families that we look after at Barclays Private Bank. Uh, there's about eight trillion dollars worth of um, transfer occurring for the people with hundred million and above in, in assets uh, globally over the next decade, and roughly fifteen trillion occurring um, in the or in the in the world at large, which is roughly the size of the GDP of China. So this is just an idea to give you what you know the scale of what is happening. When we surveyed uh, the younger people that were responsible for family businesses and likely to take them over, we actually found a very different mindset than the one that Roy described at the beginning. The vast majority of them felt that they would be expected to take over the family business or inherit the family wealth. And the vast majority felt that they needed to do that responsibly uh, and that they needed to, um, they had a very strong sense of duty towards their family to retaining the legacy that of their family's uh, business. And so we didn't think that that was, we, we thought that was something that they took quite seriously, to put it like that. So I just want to maybe sort of underscore that not everyone comes at it with a speculative mindset. And in terms of what the financial services industry can do to help them, you know, we can do a lot to help, uh, you know, this younger generation come up to speed. At the very beginning of the journey, we should start by educating them in the basics of finance, mm -hmm. what constitutes sensible investing, what is diversification, what is good portfolio management, uh, what, how do you risk manage uh, your, your assets, how do you put the right people in place, and above all else, how do you put a governance structure in place for your, especially, I would say, at the higher end of the, mm -hmm. the wealth transfer spectrum, how do you put a good governance structure in place so that you can make good decisions, you can do it in a way that's inclusive of all the family members, but still allows you to come to a good outcome for the family. And and bear in mind that families tend to have very long-term time horizons. So we're often looking at multi-generational decision-making, and it's very challenging. Sure, absolutely. And, and I think obviously it is worth repeating what you said. Not every young person is going to be profligate. Many young people have been inculcated with the knowledge of uh, how to manage money or the importance of trying to get rich slowly <laughs> rather than, um, you know, j just do something that's speculation. But Kay, if I can come back to you on this, when you talk to young people, what do you feel is their biggest concern? And obviously, a lot of the young people that LEBC would talk to might not be the children of multimillionaires. They might just be normal children from normal households like mine, if if you can call me. I, th I think we... Yeah, I think we I think we can call you normal seminary. I think we have the whole spectrum, quite frankly. We have high net worth individuals uh, where we will probably pursue a similar uh, strategy to that which uh, Effie has outlined. But we also do a lot of workplace advice. And I think auto-enrolment has been really useful in helping young people to understand the need to save, the, need, the, the value of compound interest, uh, 
and to get them interested in the subject. Uh, because, you know, once once the money that's going into that every month starts to add up, then we're finding that younger people are taking much more interest in what that means for them in the future and how that fits in with their other goals, such as wanting to buy a property. I think from the IFA's perspective, what we've got to do is to use different methods of communicating with them. And so what we've developed at LEBC, for example, is an app called Hummingbird, which is available on the App Store and Android, um, as well as being available to our clients. And that gives um, not just young people, but anyone who wants to use it, the ability to see all their savings and borrowings uh, in one place. It's like a personal dashboard. We, we've developed it in conjunction with Money Hub using open banking technology. And that really gives people more control because I think the thing that young people feel the most when you talk to them about their concerns is that they feel that it's going to be impossible for them to, first of all, get a property that they'll always be renting. And then secondly, that they can't foresee ever being able to afford to retire. So the problem we've got there for a lot of young people is there's a lack of hope, a lack of confidence that they're going to be able to make headway, perhaps in the same way that previous generations felt they could. But actually showing them what their savings are worth and, and having a, an app that when you get a dividend paid into your ISA or LISA, it pings and tells you that, you know, you've got 15 quid from even load or whatever it happens to be, is actually really motivating. So it's a bit like having a, a, a Fitbit, a financial Fitbit. And the good thing from it, from our point of view, is it enables us to do desktop publishing so we can actually send lots of nudges and information uh, to the users of the app. Uh, in a timely manner, straight into their devices. And I think that's the way we've got to look to communicate with the next generation, because I don't see them wanting to go through a lengthy process of having a fact-find meeting and then, mm. you know, a gap while you do some research and then another meeting. So we're also developing self-serve tools as well to help individuals start the financial planning process themselves. Hey, I'm really glad that you touched on tech uh, on your Hummingbird app, which sounds really fascinating. And I'm going to go and have a little look around um, on it later after this podcast. Um, and the fact that, you know, you're developing new tools to sort of help younger people. Roy, do you think that technology can and should play a larger role in helping advisors reach across the generations? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think Kay brings up that great point about auto-enrollment, because if you think about it, auto-enrollment for the vast majority of people is their first foray into financial services. Um, and uh, similar to, to Kay's company, we we present to literally thousands of people uh, on auto-enrollment. And I've, I've, I feel and I really get a sense of a desire for knowledge in a way that has never really been there before. And what I mean by that is just that for 20, 30 years, you'd walk into a room full of, of young people previously and it was, oh God, the pension guys here coming to talk to us about pensions. I've seen a real sea change recently um, and there is a desire to find out about it. And I, I think one of the issues there is that they understand demographics in a way that none of the previous generations did because the demographic you know, element is around in, in lots of parts of their life. And, and to the technology point, one of the first things, therefore, we do is, is really encourage them to go on to the pension websites that are available with, with auto-enrollment schemes. What you do find out at a very early stage, though, um, and I'm, I'm very envious of, of, of your clients, Effie, because that's not the, the impression we, we, we get. I, I, wish, I wish they had that, uh, that knowledge going into meetings. But there is the ignorance of, of, of is bliss point. And I think compound growth is something that 
just needs to be explained to people. I've read about it a hundred times. There's no better way of explaining it than, than an advisor doing it. Uh, the choice of funds, if you look at the way that a lot of fund choices are, are laid out on, on websites, again, it's a bit clunky and it really doesn't tell them how risk works properly. And of course, the, the, the planning tools and websites still need handholding. So technology is your friend, but I think if we just rely on technology, actually, some of these people turn off and they still need, I call the guiding hand of the advisor to help point them to the relevant parts of the site, educate them, but also remind them. And I think, I, you know, I often ask for a show of hands and I say, who's, who's gone onto the website? And loads of hands go up in the air and, and you say, well, how many times did you do it or when did you last do it? And they're sort of looking at their shoes going, yeah, yeah, when I first got the pension. And I think part of our role as advisors is to encourage people. And it's not a daily thing. I say to people, why don't you just go on once every quarter and just set something in your diary to go in four times a year and just have a look at your pension. And I think once they start engaging, then it's easier to take a mind to ISA World or wherever else we're going to go next. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, ISA World sounds like a really bad theme park, Roy. Um... <laughs> Probably. I know that we are removing COVID restrictions and we can start going away, but I'd rather not go to ISA world. Um, Effie, you, you were smiling very knowingly while uh, Roy was talking. And I, I guess your clients like this kind of hybrid approach and they like to have advice and a bit of a guiding hand. Yes, no, well, I was smiling because uh, Roy was uh, talking about what I consider to be one of the great wonders of the world, which is compounding. <laughs> compounding is maybe the eighth great wonder of the world. And uh, so, so said Einstein, of course. Exactly. So well, who's to argue with him? But I saw a very interesting statistic recently that Warren Buffett, you know, one of the icons of investing and obviously an extremely wealthy man, made 90% of his net worth after the age of 50. Now, he's had the benefit of living into his 90s, which is, of course, uh, time is, a, is, is the great uh, you know, component here in the compounding equation. But when you stop and think about that, it's really quite extraordinary um, statistic. And if people understood that, they would, un they would understand that you know, putting away a little bit of money at a young age and continuing to do so in a regular, disciplined, kind of habit, habitual way that Kay was mentioning, um, and let it, and then of course investing it wisely, not not in, not in wild speculative ways, but in in ways that just that make sense for the long haul. It's a winning strategy. Now, for it's me, a, Warren it's a winning Buffett. Strategy. I I I absolutely agree with you. And for me, Warren Buffett is a great uh, example of someone who gets rich slowly. Um, well, I mean, he did obviously have have wealth uh, to begin with, not not a great deal, but he he's always advocated being sensible. You know, if you're going to start out in investing, buy an S&P 500 tracker, then, you know, look at what you, what you know, build on sensible things, buy good companies. You know, he, he's very sort of cautious, but is yes. a 90 year old sort of billionaire really a role model for the young i mean look at elon musk he's the one that's playing around with bitcoin like it's his personal monopoly money and he's the ones all the young people kind of want to emulate so i mean who when you look at role models you've also got to look at intergenerational role models how can we in the industry be good role models to these young people when they're sort of more attracted by the the, the sort of tycoons like uh, the kardashians or uh or elon I, would musk. Say, I would argue your greatest role model are your parents Okay, and I think that, that what I try and encourage the youngsters to do is to look at their parents' situation. And I say, hopefully, your parents are in a situation where they're they're approaching or at retirement and having a, a nice retirement to look forward to, and you want to emulate them. Or alternatively, your parents are in a situation where they're forced to carry on working or facing, uh, you know, a daunting prospect of retirement. 
And presumably you don't want to be in that situation. And that really resonates with the young. You can see them nodding furiously at that. And you don't probe into as to which of those you know, different uh, schools their parents are in. But I think if you can get people thinking about their parent situation, particularly in their 20s, it's then far easier for them to say, I would like to be in that scenario. That's my effective role model. Because you can talk about the Elon Musk and Warren Buffett's to the cows come home. You can't really relate to these people. The people you can relate to mostly, I would say, are your parents in terms of financial situation. Yeah, I agree with Roy on that point. And, I, and we find that parents do actually uh, talk to their children a lot more perhaps than, than they used to, uh, particularly if a parent, when they were young, got into trouble with credit cards. Because, you know, I remember the 80s and 90s when virtually every day you got offered to, to borrow some more money, even if you didn't need it. Um, and back then, interest rates are much higher than they are now. Um, and so quite a lot of people did get into difficulty then when they were young. And I think sharing those lessons with your children is, is a valuable thing to do, because as Roy says, you know, they can relate to you. They can't necessarily relate to some American billionaire who's um, exploring space or whatever. But I think the other aspect of this is that intergenerational conversation, because often we have parents and grandparents who want to give lump sums of money to younger mm. people in their family to help them. And I think it's important that as, as advisors, we actually guide them in that. I mean, first of all, there's the affordability question. And obviously, cash flow planning can be really useful in helping people to understand whether they really can afford to give that money away. And then also talking to them and their children or grandchildren about how it's going to be spent. What are you going to, what are you going to do with it? So, for example, at the moment, there's a lot of younger people who have lost their jobs or they've been on furlough for a long time because of the pandemic. Some parents or grandparents might think, well, we'll give them some cash. But if they're actually claiming universal credit, it's the worst thing you can do because you'll just make them ineligible for benefits. If, on the other hand, they have been claiming universal credit but have now got back into work, um, they're probably going to qualify for the help to save scheme, which means that they can save money on a regular basis and get a 50% boost from the taxpayer uh, to, to build back their, their cash reserve and their resilience. Equally, it's probably not a good idea to pay off student debt for most students. The Institute of Fiscal Studies estimates that 73% of graduates will not pay back all their debt. And often parents who've had a free education themselves are very keen to either pay the fees up front mm. or pay back the debt. So again, we need to educate both generations about that because all you're doing is subsidising the taxpayer. Far better to pay the money into a LISA if the person's eligible for that and then they can get the extra 25% uplift um, from the government or an ISA or indeed a pension. Because, again, third parties can pay into pensions, the recipient will get the tax relief, and it's not tested as a means-tested benefit because until you're 66, above state retirement age. So, you know, you can pay money into your children's pension while they're out of work so they don't have those gaps in funding, and that can make a real difference to when they'll be able to retire. Okay, what you've been saying there is really important because you're talking about structures that are already in place, that already exist, and that aren't out of the financial realm of most normal working parents. Yeah. And these are the sort of conversations that intergenerationally advisors should be having with their clients, whether their clients are grandparents or the so-called squeezed middle like myself. I'm telling you, I'd really like to get rid of my squeezed middle after lockdown, but that's another matter. So when advisors sit down with clients, should they be having these conversations? Do they have these conversations? And what more can we do to kind of encourage these sort of things 
to happen because it may not be something that someone you know you may be coming to your client for an annual pension review or your client may be coming to you because they want a, a remortgage can you just bring these things up while you're while you're, should you just be bringing these things up uh, I'll, I'll just say again Kay, Kay's excellent point about cash flow modeling uh, helps you do this because if you're doing cash flow modeling in, in the correct way with clients you can often show them that starting to pass money down through the generations means that they're not going to be affected in the long run. Now, there is a long-term care issue here, but that's probably a, a podcast for another day, but let's put that to one side. And I think you can prove to people that actually by starting to pass some money down, firstly, could be inheritance tax efficient, but actually it's not going to affect their standard of living. And I think cash flow modeling is a very clever way of doing that. The other point I'd quickly make here is the psychological point. I think when people pass money down through the generations, Clearly, they're doing it because they care about the people they're passing it to. And the feedback we, we've had is that part of that caring is also, I would like you, um, and we offer this service uh, for free, to sit down with my kids and just give them some basic tools, some real basic financial planning tools, because I'm worried about the responsibility if I just send them a check for X, Y, Z. So because we offer this, I haven't had a single client that said no. And in fact, pretty much they insist on it. And I've had an example just this week where they said, we're not going to pass this money on unless you sit down with Roy and his team. Now, sometimes it has to be the team because people tend to buy people of a similar age sometimes. So uh, believe it or not, I, I'm, I'm getting on a little bit similarly. So I have to get some, some younger IFAs in my world to, to sit down with them. But that is really well received by, by, by the donor. Mm. Absolutely. Effie, is that the same thing with, I mean, I, I guess your clients are slightly more high net worth but they'd obviously have the same concerns about inheritance and about wanting to make sure their children are managing money in the right way yeah absolutely um in fact we did a, a survey as i mentioned earlier of um uh several hundred of the world's wealthiest families so um uh, and we had a really interesting point that came out which is about trust between the generations and it was actually the single most important issue when it came to a wealth inheritance that the older generation was worried that they wouldn't be able to trust the the family assets in the hands of the younger generation and that was the single biggest impediment to the to making the asset transfer and when you say well what is it that actually engenders trust it's well i feel like the person i'm going to be giving the money to is knowledgeable knows how to use it um, will will handle it responsibly that our value systems are aligned, right? And and that might be easier, let's say, for say smaller tight-knit families, but if you have a very large family or if the younger generation has had a significantly different life experience, for example, they've been educated differently, they've grown up in a different different lifestyle than the, the original, um, you know, I'm talking about families that are, are business families here. So the, the, there's often a very powerful story of, of somebody who started an entrepreneurial venture with very little of their own money, you know, a few thousand dollars here or whatever, and then built a really spectacular business. Their children may have grown up in a much more luxurious way or uh, had a very different lifestyle and their, their values are not aligned. And so this is a real problem and it, it impedes the trust. And so that's why we encourage families to come together and really write down the values that they believe in and that they want to support and often they are around, going back to Kay's earlier point, ESG-related topics. They want to do something for the environment. They feel very strongly about it. They want to do something for education or healthcare or whatever the topic is. And so when the family coalesces around one of these values, then they're able to align their investing portfolio and the way that they use their money in line with that purpose. And that gives them a way to make decisions that everyone can agree on. 
Excellent. Well, I, I'm afraid we're starting to run out of time here, but I'm going to um, ask one last question of, of each of you. I know there is no silver bullet, but let's assume there is a maybe a bronze bullet or a brass bullet or a slightly efficacious bullet that you would like to see that could really help with intergenerational wealth planning in this country. If I could ask each of you to think of maybe just one thing that or one really solid piece of advice that you would encourage advisors and their clients to do. And um, I'm going to start with Kay and I'll go to Roy and then I'll finish with Effie. I think the most important thing simply is to encourage families to talk about money. It still tends to be a bit of a taboo subject, but sharing experiences, explaining that you might be quite wealthy today, but you started out with next to nothing and you built up a business or, you know, through diligent saving, you've managed to pay off your mortgage early. Uh, etc. Or, you know, on the other side of the coin, that you made some silly mistakes when you were younger. And often, you know, sharing those experiences and teaching children about money. And I think the research shows that most of us achieve our money habits by the time we're seven. So, you know, with younger children, that perhaps means not giving them too much pocket money too soon or, you know, making it a condition of tidying up their room or helping with you know, unloading the dishwasher or whatever it happens to be, so that they associate the need to earn money before they can spend it. Mm, absolutely. Roy, you're, you're smiling. Uh, no, no, I agree with everything that's just been said. I, I guess the, the ultimate silver bullet is, is, is I would take something very simple like compound growth and just, you know, put it out to every maths teacher in the UK. I remember maths is compulsory up to 16 or 17, I, I guess, in the UK, and just say, when, next time you're teaching your kids about compound growth, make it relevant to real life. And I think this is the greatest example, whether it's ISIS pensions or whatever, it doesn't matter. But I think if people can get their head around that, and I would say compound growth is the one thing that when I do my presentations on all-time enrollment, everyone goes, wow. And then people say to me, I remember that at school, but I never realized what it was, what, what it was for. So my silver bullet would be to almost go back to the education establishment and say, make it slightly more relevant to, uh, to real life. Indeed. Effie? Simone, I think you wrote an article about an 18-year-old who put £1.71 a day into their, into their pension and ended up being a millionaire by the time they were 68. So this is the value. This is compounding and discipline. My one thing is I would put financial education into the education system as something we actually teach children as they go through their school system. It's actually an important life skill. And, uh, you know, looking for the answers on Reddit or some, you know, blog on the internet or something which comes from a source that may or may not be credible or talking to your mates at the pub, that's not how you learn about good money management. So I would make a compulsory part of education. And I should say, this is my personal opinion and not the opinion of Barclays. So I have no idea what Barclays thinks about I don't this. think Barclays would argue with that. I think, you know, a, a more educated young workforce are going to be a wealthier workforce. And that's better for yes. all of us as an industry and all of us as an economy as well, you know. More Absolutely. people in the future spending money. That's 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 what I our economy sim- needs. Simply, if I could throw a quick bronze bullet in as well, I think we're <laughs> I think we're halfway down the world, uh, halfway down the road, and I'll tell you why. When auto enrollment was first invented, I remember going to endless uh, conferences. I'm sure Kay was at some of them as well, where loads of people said there's no room for advisors in auto enrollment. How wrong they yeah, were. Yeah, that was wrong. And we're, yeah. and we're massively responsible. We should pat ourselves on the back for getting basically what a ninety percent uptake in auto enrollment. Mm. So when you engage correctly. And in an open and educational work way, it does work. So we know the model's there. We just need to accentuate it. There you go. That's plenty of thought for, for all of us uh, educators, 
uh, was it Ofsted? Ofsted need to think about this. The Department for Education, everyone from government all the way down needs to, to, to get involved in this. So thank you very much, FEK and Roy, for taking the time to speak to us. And thank you all for listening. For more investment and pensions news, please visit ftadvisor.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.